Welcome to Apple Arcade Plus, the show where you get to hear from the people behind Apple Arcade games. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. One of the things that I think is really interesting in our game, with our luck mechanics in particular, is that unlike most roguelikes where like most of that kind of luck is is a die roll under the hood, in our case it's it's physics, which means it's actually not luck really at all. It's just that physics is so complicated that once you start bouncing around enough, you start to lose your ability to predict all of the complexity of, of how it's going to bounce. In under the hood, in my editor, if I turn up our little aim predictor line, I can see exactly where the hero is going to bounce. Welcome back to another episode of Apple Arcade Plus. On this episode, I'm pleased to share with you an interview I did with Andrea Roberts, the game designer and artist at Wonderbelly Games, the makers of Roundguard, a delightful, bouncy dungeon crawler with pinball physics, lots of loot, and just a lot of great personality to the game, as you'll hear in this interview. As a reminder, if you want to support this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Every review is incredibly helpful, letting Apple know that others may want to see the show in their search results. So, so head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you've already done so, thank you so, so much. And with that, here's my interview with Andrea. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Hi, thanks. Can you first introduce yourself and your role in creating Roundguard? I'm Andrea Roberts from Wonderbelly Games. I'm the game designer and artist, amongst other things. There's there's only three of us on the team, so we all wear a lot of hats. Okay, excellent. And how would you describe Roundguard as someone that has no idea what your game is? We like to call Roundguard a bouncy dungeon crawler with pinball physics. Probably the quickest picture is if you know the game Peggle. Round guards like Peggle mashed up with a dungeon crawler roguelike. But instead of a ball, you're shooting your hero into a dungeon room full of monsters and potions and gold, trying to bounce around, defeat the monsters, survive through a big procedural dungeon, past a whole bunch of bosses and everything all the way to the bottom. Very cool. And does your character have any backstory or what's the world in game exists in from the narrative side it's pretty lighthearted. but you know the castle spring bottom is under attack the king has been kidnapped you need to gather up all his gold and get down to the bottom to save him along the way there's a bunch of random encounters with different monsters and npcs and other heroes you can learn little sort of bits and pieces about the the culture and intrigue around the castle but mostly it's just opportunities for people to pop in with silly jokes and what, you mentioned Peggle. Um, did your team have other inspirations in creating Roundguard? Obviously, we drew a lot of inspiration from Peggle. At the time, like, so we're big RPG nerds. I think it's pretty obvious as you play the game that we've played a lot of D&D. We, lo- we love that <laughs> atmosphere. And so there's a lot of playing with like those RPG tropes and sort of poking some fun at it in some places, obviously honoring it in a lot of places. I often think of the game, like there's the Peggle aspect, there's the D&D. There's a lot of like, I'm a big fan of a lot of cartoons like Adventure Time and Steven Universe. And, you know, so a lot of that, like, I feel like has influenced my art style. It's a mashup of a lot of things that we just love. And hopefully that comes through. Yeah. And there's different characters you can play as and that kind of changes your strategy. What are the different options you have? So there are three classes. It's the it's the classic trifecta of the warrior, the rogue, and the wizard. Each one of them has their own set of 
armor and weapons that they can pick up, each with different kind of bonus properties. And then most importantly, they each have their own sets of skills. So I did talk about how like one of the biggest differences between, uh, well, I don't know, there's a lot of differences between us and Peggle, but, but a big one is as you're bouncing around, every hero has skills that they can use that let you redirect your ball or smash through things or do all sorts of spells and other fun actions. When you look at the different characters, they fall into, like, you can all kind of build them in different sorts of directions, but I like to think of them as, like, the warrior. He's your big, simple brute. If you really, if you want to just kind of focus on the peggle bouncing, if you don't want to think too hard, warrior's a good option. He's got a lot of opportunities to heal, and he's he's good at smashing his face into stuff. The rogue, they're all about control. So if you're a player who wants to really take more control over that bounce. You don't want to let yourself just give in to gravity. The rogue has a double jump that lets them bounce around in, in new directions. They have a bunch of projectiles. Because of all of that reach, they're really good at like leaderboard play. They can definitely focus on those high scores. And then the wizard, I think of her as one of the more challenging classes to get comfortable with because she's like a classic wizard, she's a glass cannon. So she doesn't have that much health early on. She doesn't have a lot of attack. And so she really relies on her skills. But as you get deeper, as you level up, as you get good combos together with your gear, she can just totally destroy <laughs> in one turn. She can clear a board. And she has a lot of really silly and chaotic effects. So I don't know. I like to think of her as like a good one for somebody who's looking for a challenge. She's looking for a bunch of silly craziness. Yeah, that's the three classes in a nutshell. And are you able to switch on the fly between them or do you have to wait for one of your runs to finish up? Yeah, each run, the start of the run, you pick your character and then you're that character for the, through the run. Yeah. And is it a good idea generally to stick with the character class to build up that level and the gear that are associated with that character or... Should you switch it around? I think it's really about finding a playstyle that you like. I, I, I really like to come at game design from the perspective of like I, I, I want to give you the player as much control as possible to make choices to make the game into the game you want. So just to, to be clear, as far as like player progression goes, there isn't very much that carries over from run to run. It's not a game about grinding. A certain character to build up before you can beat the game. It's really about practicing and learning your own skills. So getting comfortable with enemy behaviors, starting to understand that class's skills and you know where their weaknesses are. So you can think about how you want to build together like the equipment that you want to be looking for, how you want to use those skills, getting prepared for bosses once you learn their kind of ins and outs. So from that front, if your goal is I want to survive to the bottom or I, you know, I really want to master a character. Yeah, like sticking with a character, like find a character who you feel you're starting to get a good feeling about and stick with them for a little bit to, to learn them. But I personally, like as a player, I like to play something until I am like, okay, I get how this works. And then I want to go and try something new. I think it's fun to jump around and see all of the different sorts of combos that can come out of each different character's sets of equipment. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So is anything carried over around the round or what's the progression like for the, from that angle? The one thing that you get that's carried over, besides, of course, all of the learning that you have inside yourself, is that when you die, so you're collecting gold all throughout. You know, you're, you're trying to survive. You need to kill the monsters to, to get through a board. But yeah, and there's special equipment that you can earn that even makes the gold harvesting that much more effective. Absolutely. Yeah. And so 
gold is kind of this secondary gold that really is sort of a, a meter of it's your score it's how well are you doing as you collect gold there's this character who he's kind of he's we call him the host of the show he pops in regularly to check in on you during these intermission points and you get to spin the wheel of wonders depending on you know the more more gold you get the better and better trinkets that can come out of this and a trinket will last with you for an entire run you can keep building those up uh, until you get a crazy set of trinkets. So when you die, you get one last spin on the wheel and you get to take that trinket with you into the next run. So you get a little advantage coming into the next run, especially if you did the better you did in the last run, the better yeah. um, the trinket will be most likely that you get to carry forward. That's really it. Like we wanted to keep it pretty pure and and let you just focus more like less on grinding and more on learning and and experiencing the game i should uh say that there is also this relic system it's kind of the, it's the bigger meta progression where once you do make it all the way to the bottom of the dungeon and you do save the king then you're rewarded with a special relic and those relics you can turn on at the beginning of a run and they change the fundamental rules of the game right now there's 11 relics to collect we'll be adding more they do various tweaks to the rules. Like there's one where all skills use health instead of mana. Or there's one where all poison effects, effects that stack like that stack twice as much. So they're not twice as effective. So they all have these sorts of ways that you can kind of puzzle out like how to use them to your advantage. Or they can be very punishing if you don't have the right character or you get into the, the wrong situation. I don't know. They're, they're ways to make the game fresh again. And again, like give you that kind of control to play around with the rules. Yeah. And are the relics random what you get at the end or do you pick from one of the 11? Mm, you are randomly granted one of those. You'll be randomly granted a new one or could you get the, se- se- the same one over and over again? It'll always be a new one until you've com- collected them all. Okay. That's great. And it sounds like an experienced player could beat this in one run without like a fresh install. You know, you could actually beat this in one run without any. Yeah, as you said, grinding, it's not necessary. It's just about learning how to play the game. So, yeah, you, t- you totally could beat the game in the first run. I always think of it as like, to me, the game experience, I like to imagine it sort of like a, a flow experience. I, I don't know. I've played a lot of Slay the Spire and I beat the game a lot but to me it's not so much about like okay i beat the game and now it's over it's like oh i gotta try again and see you know i gotta get a new deck i gotta can i do better than the last one and you know that's where like our leaderboards really start to come into play once you are comfortable beating the game regularly then it's like how much higher of a score could you get how much faster could you beat it we've got you know different challenges there and how much of the levels are randomly generated what aspects of the levels and the game there's a lot of different procedural systems all throughout the game as far as a board itself the boards have these layouts that i put together so you can kind of you can start to recognize some of the shapes some of them are sort of like pictures you can see like there's like a cat face or there's a snake or whatever some of them are more patterned so i start with like a a peg layout to give the basic fundamentals of the board but each peg space that i lay down is really more of a it gates what kinds of things could spawn in there so i can say only small pegs can spawn here or only large pegs i can specify different um, types of pegs that can appear in a spot and so then when you come into a new level it 
grabs under the hood, it'll grab one of these boards, and then it'll grab the biome that you're in. So you might be fighting in the brutes, where there's a bunch of ogres and orcs and goblins, or you might be fighting in the undead zone, where there's all kinds of skeletons and gelatinous cubes, or the underground, where there's spiders. We've got all these different kinds of rooms with different enemy sets. And so it grabs that biome information. It also looks at like how deep you are. So the deeper you are, we introduce new enemy types. There's different frequencies on what can appear there. So it grabs all that kind of stuff together and then distributes it into the board. Plus there's other kinds of things that can start to spawn in there, like bonus treasure chests or random potions, all kinds of different things. So all that kind of gets thrown together in the board. So every board is unique, but there's some of those like fundamental pieces, like the the general layouts that I defined. And then after you beat a level, you are given this choice of which path to take. What considerations should players know about when deciding what uh, direction to take with their character? So the map is available to you at any point during the game, and you can see going forward, like I said, those different biomes. Every room is marked with, you know, if there's a skull, that's the undead biome, or if there's a spider, that's the underground biome. So you can get to know certain things that might spawn in those biomes and what, like, you might be strong against at the moment. Like, for example, if you have some armor on that gives you invulnerability to poison, then you know that you're extra strong in the underground because the underground has a lot of poisonous eggs and the spiders have poisonous bite. So you're going to be you're going to have an advantage in there. Um, So you can take that into consideration. There's also these special rooms in the map. There's treasure rooms where it'll tell you if there's a special skill book or weapon or armor. So maybe you want one of those in particular. There's also elite monsters across the board. It's a harder fight with a a lot of extra rewards in there, more gold, more experience points, some a cool trinket that you get from them. Along the way, you can unlock chaos rooms. There's a bunch of different things that can show up on the map. And so you can kind of start to plan out your run when you open up the map and and see, you know, like I said, like maybe, okay, like right now I'm really strong against poison. So I want to take that spider route because that's going to lead me into a treasure chest. But part of the trick is that if you really, really want to get to where you want to go, you're probably going to need to do a little planning even before you get to the, to beating the room and getting to the exits because The last shot, after you've cleared out all the monsters, to get to the exits, you have to still bounce your character into the exits. And so if you left a lot of pegs in the way, you might have blocked off. Like, you're like, I definitely wanted to go over to that treasure room, but there's a ton of pegs in your way. So then, like, that becomes, like, one of the skills that you need to remember as you're trying to really, like, master the game is, oh, yeah, I I remember. I want to go over to the, the right side of the screen, so I need to make sure I've cleared that area out before I finish this room. Right. And one nice touch I noticed is after you tap and hold your finger down for a bit, it zooms in a bit. Did your team try different solutions to this problem of getting more precision out of the touchscreens? It was an interesting challenge for us because we started developing the game on PC and then we expanded that to consoles as well. But phone came in kind of late for us. So when we were looking at trying to dial in touch controls, we were also looking at the space on the screen. You know, we had these board layouts and this UI that was very much designed for that uh, landscape layout. We knew like, you know, for people playing on the smallest phones, like we wanted them to be able to really get in and see the art, make sure that they like could get a good feel for where precisely they were aiming. So, and we already had this zoom mechanic that we use for, we call it the drama cam. Like when you're going to hit that last enemy, like the camera zooms in close on you. We wanted to 
use Zoom in that case for like, especially for phones to make sure you could get a close look at what you were aiming at. I don't know that we tried that many different attempts at how to do that, but it did kind of come out of like all these pieces that we had had along the way. Yeah. Are there any other little touches like that that players might not really realize um, when they're playing? It's funny, actually, we're working on a patch. Hopefully today we're going to push out to cert. One of the things that we had is that's, that's a little hidden is that uh, if you like tap and hold on an enemy on the side panel, it'll pop up information like it'll say their name and it'll also highlight any enemy on the board and put their health underneath them, which can be useful if you're trying to like see if like, am I going to defeat this enemy with just one hit or is it going to take two hits? But that was actually causing some issues we discovered with certain form factors and like certain people holding the phone in different ways that we didn't quite expect when we were testing originally. So we just, so just in this patch, we're actually going to move it off of the enemies on the sidebar and up to this little button. So it'll be a little bit more obvious um, in just, just a week, hopefully Uh, there'll be a button up at the top next to the fast forward button where it'll, if you hold onto that, it'll pop up all that enemy information for you. And then it, you won't get any accidental activations with it, with your, with your thumb. And the game features pinball physics. And as many people know, with pinball machines, they can be somewhat unpredictable. Uh, you may think you're hitting <laughs> it this way and it's going to go there. How much of your attempt at levels uh, is, where's the skill versus luck aspect come in with players and how can they master this game? I think luck is a really interesting place in games. I, I don't know. I get, I get really nerdy about this. One of the things that I think is really interesting in our game with our luck mechanics in particular is that unlike most roguelikes where like most of that kind of luck is is a die roll under the hood in our case it's it's physics which means it's actually not luck really at all it's just that physics is so complicated that once you start bouncing around enough you start to lose your ability to predict all of the complexity of of how it's going to bounce in under the hood in my editor if i turn up our little aim predictor line I can see exactly where the hero is going to bounce. The computer knows, but yeah, it takes some, it takes definitely like some practice to start to get comfortable with the physics and get better at your, your own prediction. But once you get to a whole bunch of bounces. So what I like to do as a player is I can't predict the exact line of where everything's going to go, but I like to think about likelihoods. I look at like across the board, okay, if I shoot myself over this way, I'm probably going to bounce down this gutter, let's say, and I'll, I'll stay over on the right side of the screen. And that might be a good thing for me because there's a whole bunch of mana potions over on the left side and I'm full up of mana. So I don't want to waste all my resources over there because you can, if you pop a potion and you're already full, it's just a waste. So you start to like think about your resources and think about likeliness of like, okay, I, I don't want to waste that stuff. I really need to get some health. So I'm going to bounce over here where it's most likely where I'm going to bounce around and get some of that extra health potions, those sorts of things. As you start to get more and more comfortable with your hero's skills, those things will give you a lot more control. So you're not just relying on gravity to get through a board. Paying attention to every hero's skills and thinking about ways you might be able to take advantage of them. There are a lot of skills that are maybe more obviously they can be used for attack, but some of them have ways that 
they can be a lot more defensive or can help you get to a higher score. Like for example, like the rogue's double jump is an easy one to talk about. So she can redirect which way she's jumping. You can use that to jump into a monster to get that monster, but you can obviously use that to jump towards a potion. You can use that to jump into the cushion that's at the bottom to save yourself when you're falling. You can use that to jump to the type of treasure chest you want to get when the loot pops up. So there's lots of ways you can use a lot of the skills if you think about them. With the double jump, do you get that tap and hold and does it like slow down time for that second one or how's the double jump so the rogue has all of their aimed skills like double jump and the ranged attacks you hold down on the screen and then yeah it slows down time and you've got a couple of seconds to slide your thumb around and point like aim in the direction you want the skill to go okay nice and then what are some different i guess equipping strategies for both new and experienced Mm -hmm. players i guess experienced players want to go after the gold probably or what's the differences between newbie and someone that's more familiar with the game for somebody just getting into the game your goal is focus on surviving which really means you want to get a lot of health i like to point New players at the warrior, just as a like, he's got a lot of different armor that helps him get health. He even has some weapons that can can lead in health. He's got a skill called gold lust where he can actually gobble up some of the gold on the board and, and eat that for health as well. So he's got a lot of ways to keep himself topped up if you pay attention to it. Once you start to get more experienced, there are a lot of combos available i personally like as a player as a designer i really love combos i like thinking about them and so every piece of equipment available to any hero has a couple of other pieces of equipment that would make for like a really great combo it's funny because like i hear a lot of people coming in and saying oh man the wizard's totally op the rogue is totally op but like i can't get anywhere with the warrior and then like an argument breaks out of like no the warrior's totally op i don't know what you're talking about and the thing is it's like it's about finding those amazing combos when you get the right set of gear together they can just just chain into really cool effects. I don't want to spoil too much of it for people because I think that's a lot of the fun in the game. Yeah. That's a lot of fun I have in roguelikes. But yeah, I I would say like pay attention to those pieces of equipment and try and like keep an eye out for good pairs. Um, And when you can bring those things together, then then you'll be OP. (laughs) (laughs) The controls. Uh, So you obviously have hardware controls that were developed for consoles originally and also work with Apple Arcade and you have touchscreen controls. Does your control mechanism change the way you play the game? Do you have, a, have you noticed any differences? Early on, like really from the beginning of developing the game, we wanted the controls to be fairly streamlined, which I think worked out well for us because along the way, like I said, we started designing for PC, but then we also started, you know, later we started working on consoles. So then it was controller. And then when Apple Arcade approached us, it was like, great. Okay. Now we've got touch. I think the controls stayed fairly streamlined. I don't feel like the experience is that vastly different between all of those different inputs. For some people, maybe like the aiming mechanics are are some of the more complicated and and so it kind of depends on like if you feel more comfortable aiming with a thumbstick or your thumb itself or a mouse that might be one of the biggest feel differences okay so with the pc mouse and keyboard is the kind of go-to input method there on the pc or mac you can play with just the mouse okay it's right click left click to do your two skills right click launches you out of the ballista so it's it's real streamlined there like you you could play with just the mouse there are a couple of like extra hotkeys on the keyboard if you know you want them but they're really just like 
quick shortcuts to menus and stuff like that. Yeah. Has your team looked into iPad support of mouse as a control method now that that's baked into the OS? I know it's brand new. That's really interesting. No, we haven't. That's a great point. I'm going to write that down right now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I know. It just came out like a week ago or so. So Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I'm curious uh, if developers will start looking into to that as an, an option. Uh, I believe also keyboards are finally having keyboard events like you do on traditional computers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't have that in the past either. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. That's really interesting. We'll have to look into it. We've developed the game in Unity. So we're using some of Unity's control stuff. We're using like a, a plugin that helps with some of that. So we're also kind of relying on that, you know, chain of everybody getting comfortable with the new yeah. thing. But I'm sure they'll they'll want to support that stuff quickly. And, and hopefully it'll be just an easy switch for us then. Yeah. So the game features pinball physics. Did the actual mechanic of a pinball flipper ever enter the stage in any of the <laughs> prototypes or as some kind of bonus mode that, as a side thing? Or We never had that in any of the prototypes. I, like, I could see that being a fun thing to play with. We actually kind of have, it's not quite a flipper, but the um, the wizard, and if you've ever played with her lightning skill, but her lightning skill, there's these two lightning bugs that crawl up and down the sides of the screen. When you use her lightning skill, uh, she'll zap lightning between her and the two bugs on the side. So you kind of draw these lines through the, the screen. Well, those bugs are also little bumpers. So as they're moving up and down the sides of the screen, they can help kind of give you a kick. But you don't have control over yeah. them, so it's not the same quite as a flipper. So like I could, I could see some some fun there for us maybe in the future. But I think like flippers are a lot about like giving you that control over the ball. And where we do that is in skills. Right. So, you know, you have access to those skills all the time as you're bouncing around, as long as you've got mana to use them. It's almost like I could see like a flipper being a skill for some hero in the future. Yeah, and as far as making sure you have enough mana, that's a matter of making sure you get the right equipment and you're headed to capture mana mm-hmm. appropriately and don't run out. That is something I've run into where, I'm, oh, I'm using these skills way too much and I'm out of mana. Yeah, I mean, different heroes have different abilities there. Like the warrior, he just he doesn't have as much mana. You know, he's got more health, but he doesn't have as much mana and he doesn't focus on mana as much. But like the wizard, on the other hand, she's got a ton. She also has a lot of ways to generate mana if you get the right pieces of equipment. Yeah. And then uh, I'm curious, how early on did your team know the game was headed to Apple Arcade? So actually fairly late in the development. We started the game about three years ago. And it started actually as kind of a part-time project. And like I said, we're a very small team of just three of us. This last PAX West, so in September, we showed the game there. And afterward, Apple Arcade approached us, you know, and so we were pretty close. Like we were planning on shipping earlier this year and they thought that we would be a really great fit. It was perfect because we had heard so many people telling us that like, is this game going to be on phone? I really want to have this game on my phone. And along the way, we we kind of been like, well, I don't, I don't know that like, we weren't really sure what the premium marketplace would be like for us yeah. on the phone. You know, like I said, we're very small. We like, we didn't have like a ton of money to throw at it. And I really didn't want to make it a free to play game. You can do free to play in lots of great ways. I don't know. Sometimes those mechanics can feel kind of like they tear the game apart. I didn't want to approach the game that way. So we had been telling people for a while, like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll have to see in the future, you know, maybe depending on how like the PC and console stuff goes. So yeah, so when Apple Arcade reached out, I was like, well, perfect. I know that there's a bunch of people who want this on the phone. So, and this totally solves all of our concerns about marketplace stuff. So yeah, it was great. And anything to say about the sound design for the game? So my husband, Bob Roberts, who's second of the third members of, 
of Winter Valley. <laughs> he does all of the sound and music, amongst other things. We had a lot of fun with the sounds. Most of the voices in the game are either me or him. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just have a mic, a little recording studio in our house, and we just made a bunch of silly sounds and like pitched them up or pitched them down and, and had a bunch of fun. Uh, so our daughter, who's four... When you play the wizard, she has a skill that's the wisps. Yeah. When she summons the wisps, they giggle. That's actually, that's my daughter's giggle. Oh, that's great. And when they smash into somebody, like, there's like a little like, yeah, whatever, that's her. <laughs> so yeah, we, what a cool we had a lot of fun yeah. with the sound. Any mechanics we didn't cover yet in Round Guard that you wanted to talk about? I haven't talked about the treasure scarab. I think that's a fun one to think about for anybody who really is into leaderboard play. There's this gold scarab that moves around every shot. It'll fly to a new peg. And when you hit the scarab, anything you hit after that, any gold pot, any monster you defeat, anything that would give you gold, gives you five times as much gold as it would normally give you for that turn. Which means that as you start to really chase the scarab, like it all becomes like, you want to get that good score? Every shot you need to be looking at, where's the scarab? And can I make an awesome bank shot off of the scarab? Can I use a skill to like activate the scarab as early in the turn as possible so I can maximize my gold? Which actually I think makes the game quite a bit more difficult for people who are really looking for a challenge. Because now all of a sudden the scarab is kind of, is goading you into, well, I, I should really, the safe choice here would be to go after that health potion, but I got to get the scarab first. And so, you, you know, you, you might chase after some more dangerous bounces. I um, mean, you have to like really get solid with your skills and understanding the physics to really get a good use of the scarabs. I like that part of the like difficulty balancing in yeah. the game because it's something that you can it's really, it happens in your own mind as a player. You can also make the switch partway through where you're like, ah, never mind. I just want to chill out and right. <laughs> not think too hard in this game. I think it's fun. To yeah. Play. And you also, on trying to get to the scarf, uh, try not to hit the gold pieces before you hit that to make sure they're still on the board. Yeah. yeah. And then anything else we didn't cover before you want to wrap it up? We just launched a couple of weeks ago, but we are definitely planning on continuing to work on the game and update it for at least a while. So like I, I said, we've got this patch coming out in hopefully just a week that will address a few bugs that we found, a few usability issues that we wanted to get in there. But after that, like we have lots of ideas around some more content we'd like to see. There's more boards and elite enemies and trinkets and all kinds of fun stuff. I think one of the first things that we want to take care of is doing a daily run mode where like there will be a special challenge every day with a special leaderboard to try and get to the top of. And then, you know, we've got lots of ideas for new heroes and stuff. So yeah, like uh, I guess keep an eye out for that stuff. And if you are somebody who really likes to think about that, like we love hearing feedback. We ran a beta for about six plus months prior to launching. And then we had an awesome beta community that gave us tons of ideas for enemies and jokes. We have in our Discord a place where you can make boards and submit them to me. And I've put up, so I put a bunch of different community board layouts in the game. So yeah, I don't know, like come hang out and help us keep working on the game. <laughs> Very cool. Where can people find more information about Round Guard and, as you said, help kind of share ideas with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you go to our website, www.wonderbellygames.com, right there we have 
links to, you know, we're on a bunch of social platforms, come hang out with us on Twitter. Discord, like I said, is a really fun place if you really want to get engaged. There's a bunch of people sharing strategy, making new boards, whatever, having fun conversations, sharing their streams and things like that of the game. So that's a great place. We're there every day. So if you want to come chat with us, that's great. And then also up on our website is a link to our newsletter. So you can join our newsletter and I send a mail out like once every month or two. And that's just kind of an update on like things we've been working on. So that would give you a little peek if you just want that occasional update on what's new. Sometimes I give out wallpapers and other fun things. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for your time, Andrea. I really do appreciate it. And it's been fascinating just learning more about Roundguard. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, that was my interview with Andrea at Wonderbelly Games. Once again, head over to wonderbellygames.com to learn more about this fantastic title. And as you're probably a subscriber to Apple Arcade, go out and download it right now. As a reminder, you can head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. That would be incredibly helpful. If you want to send your feedback to me, you can do so by emailing me at applearcadepodcast at gmail.com. And next up on Apple Arcade Plus is No Way Home. We had a scheduling conflict, which prevented it from being this episode. So it will, in fact, be the next episode. They're working on a big update to the game, and we'll have a chance to talk about that on the interview as well. So No Way Home is next up on Apple Arcade+. Plus. I'll talk to everyone again real soon.